Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. you're the new guy you started off now right welcome to the missouri woods and water (laughs) podcast hired already better than you (laughs) i've heard it enough times last week micah welcome to the missouri woods and water podcast we got Nate. nate oh no five second hold andy and me (laughs) i don't remember last you just listen you're getting you're getting lazy didn't have the fire you need to start bringing the effort every week. I'll do that. I will, I will Dustin, bring the effort. perform better. If you. you're not going to bring the effort. I'll just be on your du- sub we're, list. We're going to take that? Dustin here. Dustin, perform sub. better than you. Okay. In his first try ever. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. You know. And you just took the job from me, and then you started performing like that. Now, I will say <laughs> probably still better than Nate. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I, I agree I, with that. I don't that. know how that's possible. <clears throat> I think it's possible. It's definitely possible. But let's get into it. Well, the one thing we didn't do was he didn't say who was here. Who are you? Well, you guys said that. Yeah, we did. We got Dustin on the show, returning guest. Will this be third time? Maybe fourth. Fourth <clears throat> total. I came with Ryan. Yeah, you came with Ryan, Ryan the first time. Oh, that'd be five. No. Yes. I don't think We've done three Habitat shows together. This will be the third one. Mm, he He just... Two. He just guest hosted one, which is possible. with us for next week's show oh, okay. that everybody will hear. And then he came with Ryan. It's five. What I was, you say, I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't counting next week's show. So I was. Okay. He was here. He participated more than you did. <laughs> Family, man. Family. What do you want me to I do? I you. Well, so. <laughs> what do you want me to do? Huh? <laughs> Yeah, Lock things up. That's what. <laughs> Lock it up. Lock it up. Lock it up. I had to take the kids ice skating tonight. Yeah. <laughs> you know, winter. It's almost over. Spring's right around the corner. We gotta get our skating in before that ends. So, no one is understanding the inside joke right now, and that is perfectly fine, perfectly acceptable. But yes, we have Dustin Williams with us, our buddy with Habitat Works, and today's show, <clears throat> we are gonna do something. I'm excited about because it's our personal properties, but last Monday on the 6th of March, right? Yep. Yep. Um, Dustin, myself, and Micah toured two of our farms. We didn't get to all three of them that Monday, but two of our farms, Micah's and myself's that we, we hunt at. We took a tour. Dustin went back, put a plan, a plan together on those things, and we're going to kind of go through those on both those properties. We're going to explain the properties. Why are you smirking at me? Just a slippery slope. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> we're going to explain the properties a little bit to, you know, kind of let people understand what they're what we're working with. And then we're going to go through what Dustin thinks, what he thinks could make them better, what he 
just let Dustin cook. Kind of like in that uh, that meme, hole up, let him cook. We're going to let him do it. Absolutely. Before we do that, let's uh, let's pay some bills. Yeah, let's pay some bills. So, <clears throat> well, first we're going to be using this a lot tonight on X Maps. Yep. We, we got it pulled up on the big screen here. Going to walk through some stuff. Try to articulate what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's going to be kind of hard for the listeners, but we'll do our best. But for what Dustin's doing, I mean, Onyx is the perfect tool to be able to see what he has to work with. Yeah, uh, every day on Onyx. Every farm I go to, I mark it before I go there. Check out the topography. If you don't use that layer, I recommend using it, going out there, looking at the land and looking at the lines and what they're doing, and that's how you learn topography. There's a lot of articles out there, and it's pretty easy to compare articles to where you're standing most of the time. So Nice. nice. So, yes, use Onyx. Um, use our code MWW20 for 20%. Go to the website to enter that code, onyxmaps.com. Athlon Optics, ridiculously good optics. Ridiculously good price. Dang right. You guys sound like a commercial right now, which I guess technically is what we're doing. It kind of is. We love our Athlon stuff, so it's awesome. Check it out. Uh, Black Ovis, use the code MWW10 for 10%. It's end of the seasons, most of them. Really the only thing, well, we got turkey season coming up. Turkey season, big, you know, so, Missouri obviously coming up right now. If you guys are needing something for turkey hunting, go check them out. Use the code MWW10. Uh, Huntworth gear. We're going to be using our Huntworth gear while we go turkey hunting. <laughs> so, pretty obvious there, right? I mean, obviously we've been using our stuff through uh, through the winter, coyote hunting. Year-round. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they yep. have everything for every type of season while I'm getting at it. I mean, they have their heat boost for your dead of winter. They got their lighter stuff. I mean, we use it out in Colorado when we're doing, you know, the, the more hiking, more uh, active hunting. Um, but what you need, they got it. They got you. Use, use our code, code MWW15. Also have tall sizes. For 15% they off. Do. I don't have to worry about that. No, you got to get your shit hemmed. <laughs> <laughs> Short mofo. <laughs> Funny you should say that. I used to do that. Yeah. Now he just lets it bunch up at the I just let it bunch up at the bottom. I don't give a shit anymore. <laughs> My mother-in-law had too much to do at one point in time. Yep. I went on like a spree of spending on all kinds of different camos probably five years ago, six years ago. Bought all these different brands like Predator and Sitka and all these different brands, Kings. And then I had her him every single pan I bought. <laughs> and she did it without a complaint. She's now good. she doesn't have to worry about that anymore. She's a good lady. Oh, Helen. Good old lady. She's not old. Well, you know what I mean. Watch what you're saying, sir. <laughs> you watch your mouth. You watch your mouth. <laughs> uh, Alps Outdoors. They have, what is it, the number one turkey vest? Or they got number one? How'd that go? I think by Field and Stream, number one rated turkey vest. Um, by Field and Stream for 2023, I think. Nice. I'd have to recall the name of it. But then they also have that Grand Slam turkey vest with the, the legs on the back and the pad. Uh, that also won an award, and I'm trying to think. I don't know which one it was, but award-winning turkey vest, multiple of them. Yep. Use our code 2023-WOODS and Woods Water, so 2023-WOODS Water for 30% off. We're, leave, we're leaving the best for last. Camo Fire. Yep, rotating door of deals. You need to just trademark that and just become part of their – I think you so. You say that every single week. I love it. I mean, it, it, it's relevant. 
Oh, no, I, I, I agree. It's, it's I mean, a good thing. Flash sales of all Dustin, things. do you get on Camo Fire? I do. Not, do you, not do you, regular enough to take advantage of the deals that are on there all the time, but I'd like to window shop. Do you have a certain time of day that you like to get on Camo Fire? When my <laughs> morning. <laughs> when you're doing what? Hunting. <laughs> <laughs> you're the only one, Nathan. The only you're one, the only one. I'm taking my morning shit. Yeah. Oh, well. It's a perfect time to get on it. Yeah. Just, it is. It's just it's perfect timing. Yeah. Zamberland boots. I was using my Zamberland boots while we were out walking properties. Use them every day. They're so awesome. I. They hold up like crazy. I wore them here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So check them out. Zamberlandusa.com. Last but not least, some guy named Dustin Williams with Habitat Works. I'll uh yeah, I'll do this one. I'm <laughs> yeah. Dustin Williams with Habitat Works. Um Call me to, <laughs> yeah, improve your habitat, whether it's you need some insight on the way to do that, the approach, you know, how to break down the topography, this and that. Um, 816-752-7390, that's the best way to get a hold of me. Um, timber stand improvement, if you have timber, it probably needs improved. Uh, prescribed fire, obviously the mapping and planning, we talked about Onyx. Um, pretty much. I've been to Springfield. I've been over by St. Louis, Columbia. I'll go just about anywhere. Lake of the Ozarks, if it's in Missouri, that's kind of what I'm focusing on right now. So, What did you say to us one time? Have vehicle, we'll travel? Have vehicle, we'll travel. Yeah. I want to walk your land. <laughs> that's what she said. <laughs> I want to start. That's good. That should be your, your new Logan. I want to walk your land. That would be a good shirt, man. I think yeah. that would sell. Mention us when you call. Get 15% off any of his services. You guys on the show today, this is not a um, commercial for Dustin, but it pretty much is because it's going to show you how badass he, how smart he is with this stuff. But you guys are going to basically see one of his services today. He walked two of our farms like he just said he he wanted to walk our land mm-hmm. and he did that and then he, we're gonna go through the uh the plan i guess you'd call it yeah and what he's kind of thinking about when he's walking it and yep. you know the process that goes through it kind of a, a prescription right <clears throat> a prescription kind of a, an approach <laughs> you know where to start you know how to not get overwhelmed and and approach things in such a way that's like all right i can i can accomplish this because you know, I've been doing it for close to 10 years now, and it's it can still be overwhelming when you first get to a place, whether you just bought a property or you just got permission or whatever. But it's it's something that happens in steps, and you have to take those steps to get to the end goal. So Nice. I got a prescription. Need more cowbell. <laughs> Doctor's orders. <laughs> All right, so let's switch. We're going to start with uh, Micah's farm first. Yep. First thing we're going to do for everybody is we're going to try to explain the farm. Um, I get. What the hell is that? There's a humming. I don't know if it's the TV or lights or something. Putting a pause. Just Okay, we figured out what the buzzing sound was. Not really, but we're moving on. Uh, but anyways, we're starting with Micah's property first. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to um, explain the property layout for the listeners so you guys can kind of paint a picture in your mind of what it looks like. And um, then we'll kind of get into what we did that day walking through my, uh, Dustin's thoughts and go from there. So Micah, take it away. What's the farm look like? All right. The way my property kind of lays out, uh, it's a rectangle shape. It's roughly 60 acres. The It'd be the west west 30 
that's yeah the 30 acres that's closest to the west which that's where the road frontage is that's where west half west half that's most that is alfalfa and hay pasture and there's also a pond there and then the rest the back half of it is going to be timber the east half yeah east half and starting on the southeast corner got a big hill and it slopes down into my property falls down flattens out for a while and then it goes into a dry creek, I would call it. So and you kind of get a nice pond right in the in the middle, a little bit to the north edge of it. Yeah, it's like yeah. the north. It, it's a big pond. I, I, north central. Acre, three acre. It's yeah. probably two, three acre pond. North uh, north central on the property, but for what you're hunting, it's pretty much on the west and right. northwest. The timber. Right, right. Because yeah. I don't hunt like, and I, I should. Uh, I did plant corn. The uh, a little bit of that alfalfa field it wasn't producing anything in alfalfa so the farmer and me i said hey would you care if i plant something he's like nope we can do whatever i got a planter and he hooked me up with some corn seed and oh, yeah. so we did i don't know how many rows if i had to guess probably 30 40 rows maybe right up an against acre uh, right up against that timber yeah so right up against that timber on the western edge of the timber yeah so that was just shot in the dark let's see if it worked it actually grew really really well and uh, I pretty much – I left most of that standing just to keep the deer around sort of thing. Yeah. So I've hunted mostly the southern part, central of the timber-wise. That's where I've put most of my focus. I got a little little eighth of an acre, if not smaller, of clover plot that I planted in there that's done decently well. The deer have destroyed it. I actually overseeded it whenever we were out there walking real quick. I just threw a quick bag down. Um, but I've, like I said, I've hunted most of it, the South side. I have, I'm nervous to get more of the Northern side because I've been told by previous people that have hunted this, that that's where the big boys like to stay. And so I'm nervous to bump kind of anything sanctuary out. Type. Yes. Yeah. So just looking at it, Mike, I didn't realize this. Do you have road access on the East and West? That is a driveway. Okay. But so if I wanted possible access, possible, it is possible. I could talk to, I've heard one landowner is iffy. Yeah. The other landowner, he said, I probably, and this is talking to other guys that have hunted there before their parents are neighbors to the property. Uh, he said one neighbor is actually pretty cool. And that if I asked more than likely I could get access yeah, from okay. that point. So on the East border of the property is a, a driveway. Actually, yeah. uh, the West border of the Talk property is a gravel road. And then the, uh, the landowner's house. Right. Um, and then this is a decently populated area. It's not touchscreen. Oh, yep, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Mo- that's my iPad coming out. And most, then I, you just, yeah. yeah, most yeah, of the people around, they own either, you know, usually it's like the five, 10 acre plots. Yeah. You know, that surround that. There's few that, you know, own a little bit more. There is a huge, I think it's like 300 and something acres to the north of it, probably a quarter of a mile, maybe less of huge crop. So I know that they filter through me. Eventually, they make it out to that crop ground too. Yeah. So, but I mean, the alfalfa, I see them in there every night. So, what else? Do you got anything else to add to the layout of the property, Dustin? Before we kind of get into our walkthrough? No, I'll probably say the same things that you guys said here coming up. So, um, yeah, starting with access, that's kind of always both in hunting and management. Um, the most important because you have to be able to get in there and sneak up on deer and not alert them and you want to be able to get in there and work efficiently and you want to be able to compartmentalize 
your property based on different features or areas of the farm. Um, and so we started out, we came from the barn in the southwest and walked to the southern, the so- southwestern corner of the timber pretty much. Mm-hmm. And essentially we were on your perimeter access. And I think we made it probably halfway. Maybe, maybe halfway. But it's probably the same. We didn't even go back here, but I no. assume it's the same as what we saw up here. Yep, pretty close. Um, you can tell on the TV for those that aren't looking at the TV with us. <laughs> uh, you can see breaks in the canopy of the woods that will tell you that there are different um, tree species there. And so a lot of these dark ones here, I'm going to assume are your walnuts that were in that stand. Yep. And then you had a lot of honey locust. Some lighter green is probably hedge. There's a lot of hedge on the property. Yep. So this is a lot of hedge. Um, cedars obviously stand out pretty well. Yep. You can see those on that lobe of the hill up there. But anyways, we come into this southwest corner of the timber. We're walking, and you have what I would say is an overstocked uh, timber stand with those mostly those trees I just said. I didn't say hackberry. There's a lot of hackberry in there, too. Um, and so... We're thinking hunting and we're thinking forest management. You need to get sunlight to the ground all the same. Um, I'm going to eliminate the fact that you said the landowner wants to be able to go in there and walk and find mushrooms because we're going to pretend that's not a thing. (laughs) Um, But for me, as far as the timber stand improvement goes, in this section of the farm. Which is the southern southern section. section. North-facing slope. And so, you know, south winds, deer want to be on that north-facing slope most of the time because they can catch wind over the top of the hill and updrafts from below them in the creek. And so when we're thinking hunt setup, it, it makes it tough because you always want to have the best wind advantage and thermal advantage, but that's also what the deer want. So we come in here on the perimeter and... In this stand, I told you guys, if it were me, with if you guys are going to tackle this project in this half of the timber. So basically, I cut the property in half based on half of the timber was like this, half of the timber was like this down here mm-hmm. with all the vines, which I later determined was Japanese honeysuckle. Yeah, a lot of vines, a lot of immature trees. Like the southern half has more more mature trees yep. well, the further north you get the less smaller yeah the smaller diameter trees you're going to find that's that's evident of being more open which is also why that honeysuckle is worse down there it's gotten a lot more sunlight down there um uh reading more about it mowing that stuff like at your farm and some of the spots that you do is a pretty effective way of keeping it from spreading but you will have to chemically treat but when you have those paths like i was talking about for management you can start on those paths. Right. And so on the map that I made, you guys, I followed basically what is the same as a contour line, but you can see that there is an opening, a slight opening that kind of runs through there already that follows that contour line. Mm-hmm. He says likely from changing tree species. Well, I'm guessing that this is either made from cattle historically I've, I was told long, long time ago it used to be old 
pasture ground. Yep, almost. So more than likely it did have cows on yep. it at one point. Based on the composition of the forest, I would, even without knowing that, I would say that's what it was. It was open ground because yep. those are all early successional trees that do well in a lot of sunlight. Honey locust, hedge, walnut need a ton of sunlight. So if you're managing for those, you need to open up the canopy for those. Benefits your deer and your turkey as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so to compartmentalize this part of the farm, the southern half of the hunting area, I put an access trail on that contour line, that contour line, plus your perimeter access trail. Okay. So kind of split it into thirds, really, on that. Yeah. You yep. have the, the southern half of that timber area. And if if you're not seeing the map here, he has it kind of split into thirds uh, following the, the hillside. I can do a shape, too. Um, where's the tools on the computer? It's a great question. Right here. I haven't done it. Um, I'm going to just kind of bifurcate it. Like, What did you just say? Bifurcate. Bi- what does that mean? Okay. Me, uh, <laughs> In the words of Ron Burgundy, uh, what did you say? <laughs> This is this is really rough, right? Right. But we'll just say that. So I made an area, eight acres, and then the southern half would be eight acres as well. Up here, I'm kind of going around the bush. I probably should have had more of a straight-up game plan, but we're just attacking the farm. Uh, we've got these two access trails. So we're going in. The first thing we're going to do in this stand, based on what was there, is we're going to take out honey locusts. And we're going to girdle those honey locusts to allow sunlight down but not immediately create too much down debris on the ground because you still do have the Japanese honeysuckle and other trees that you want to be able to get into and manage and your landowner wants to find mushrooms and all that. So you cut a ring an inch around the tree with your chainsaw into the tree. Yep. You take Tordon. The chemical I use is Pathway. It's the same active ingredient. I believe Br- it's pickle brush stump killer. Yep, yep. And you're going to spray that on there, and it is super effective at killing honey locust. Okay. And so in the southern half, timber stand improvement first, and then fire and herbicide. Okay. You have enough open ground there. There's nothing at ground level for the deer to have cover. They're moving through. They're not going to bed down too much probably in that area, I wouldn't assume. I I mean, I've kicked them up a handful of times, not a lot. Yep. Most of the time, uh, I'm either catching them, come, they're coming south, heading north, or they're north, heading south. Yep. You know, I don't, behind the pond area, that's where I mostly have kicked up deer. And, you know, I mean, hell, even when we were walking it, we kicked one up. Right. So that's, you know, a pretty good bedding area, I would say. Yep. Those, those of you understand how ponds are made, too, a lot of times you're going to have that b- below a pond where the funnels down where the original watershed ran down into the creek is still a change in topography where wind and thermals swirl and hub and a deer has a lot of advantage for one in that area for two the features above that area lead them to that area okay so they follow those lines down there side note no that's a good that's a good tip yep um, you already have good perimeter access. And I think once you got the honey locust out of there, thinned, and it's, it's anything that you don't cut 
the first time into a place can be cut later if you decide that you want to. Right. It can be a lot if you're not used to seeing that kind of damage. Um, but I would assume that if you're just girdling them, you could probably bang out quite a bit yeah. pretty quick. Yeah. I mean, if you hell, if you just had one guy with a saw and one guy coming right behind you and spraying yeah, real quick. Yeah, that goes super fast. You could go really fast. That goes really fast. Done that a few times, and that's super efficient if you yeah. have two guys. Um, I would say after that first harvest, you will have enough grass and other new generation of plant material that in a year or two's time, you could run a fire through there. And you're starting to be more effective at managing the invasive stuff like the Japanese honeysuckle. Now, would it benefit me, like, let's let's just say this year I went in there, girdled them. Would you suggest go ahead and doing a fire, too? Or would you just, if like, you could, it, 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 or would it just kind of not be as effective and it wouldn't really matter? Uh, no fire is a bad fire. Some fires are better than others. Okay. Unless, I mean, you burn up your house or side <laughs> sure. to side or whatever. Because there is such thing as a bad yeah, fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you've got one level of timber stand improvement done and you've got a fire now i'm looking at and i probably me i would do the same i would do hedge honey locust and hackberry all at the same time okay and i'm going to treat all those trees with the same chemical okay and this happens in the winter time most of the time hedge runs sap and so if you cut into a hedge and it's running a lot of sap for that chemical to effectively work, you need to wait for it to slow down, but you can't wait too long because the tree will heal itself in a half hour or so. Really? And then, so, you know, a minute or two after you cut it, you might have to sit there and wait and spray it. So that could slow you down on a hedge tree. Would that be something you would maybe do it one, like cut them one day or girdle them and then come back the next day? You'd have to cut it again. Really? Mm -hmm. That quickly? Yep. Dang. Okay. Yep. Um, another thing about hedge, though, too, and there's research and stuff. I'm not the scholar that we just talked to on the last show, but. Which is going to be the next show. The next show. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. But walnuts and hedge are good trees to cultivate together because they grow in similar, similar conditions. And if you ever did want to try to do like a hedge harvest, obviously that's not the full thing of what we're talking about here. But some of those can be left and they're great tree stand trees. Yeah. So the bigger ones, if you only girdle a hedge, that thing is going to be standing there dead for long after any of us are still here. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it seems like they get tougher the longer they're dead. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like choose, like, choose like your it, battles. Yeah. You know, so all the smaller hedge, those are going to be the ones that you want to take out. But if you've got a lot of times in a deer hunting scenario, I'm like, not going to be worrying about all these big giant Like if you had to put a measurement on it, would you say you take care of everything 12-inch diameter and lower? And leave the twelve inch bigger alone, if you can. If you can, in in the hedge scenario. Okay. It, every every timber stand is different, but in this one, taking out those that are smaller than that size. Yeah, because we looked, at, and that was another thing we pointed out. Hedge has no purpose in you know hunting for the most part, besides the tree stands. But I could probably make a fortune just on hedge post. Yeah. And well, so, <laughs> I mean, there's a right. lot of hedge you know people use that for fencing all the time you yep. know you, there is the potential to make a little money if i wanted to put that effort into yeah, it you'd have or to, the landowner you'd have to hustle marketplace pretty hard it's, <laughs> it's kind of like hedge when posts it's, are a little lost art and i don't say lost art but lost 
yeah, a lot of people are going to steel posts and different yeah. things like that. Like yeah. hedge is not as widely used as. I'm not saying I'm going to make a lot right. per. I'm just saying I got a lot where I could. You know, there's, right. you know, some potential there. Yeah, if you if you know a fence builder in mm-hmm. a rural area or something like that, that's a good a good tool. But even then, a lot of times they've got so many people asking them that your hedge isn't going to be any different than right. the hedge next door. I thought about it. It was like, if I could just find a farmer that would use this, be like, hey, you follow me around, you take these ones that you want, and just get rid of them. You right. can have them. Yep. Yeah, and like tell people on Marketplace, come cut some firewood, come get this or whatever. It's better to be gone from your situation than to keep it. Yeah, because I would I mean, because until that burns up after years and years, it, it's just going to be laying there. Right. So. Or stand in there. Or stand in there if you don't cut it all the way down. Yeah. When you're talking mm-hmm. about spraying, like the Tordon, and I can't remember what you said you used. Pathways. Pathway. Pathway. Yep. I guess when I like help in the farm, we we cut trees, you know, and, and clean up field edges. Like Tordon, I got the, the one we kept comes with a little cap, and I just put a ring around the outside, you know, to kill the stump. Mm-hmm. Are you talking about like you put yours in a sprayer? I put mine. So if you have a, um, go to your farm store and go to the equestrian section, mm-hmm. and they have horse sprayer bottles, like the smaller sprayer bottles. Yeah, like, it looks like what Windex would. Yeah, spray I know. What out you, of. I know what you're talking about. Okay. I just didn't know if when you're saying spray, so that you just, just put the it. Tordon in that or pathways or whatever. Yep. Right. Tordon, there it's essentially the same thing. So if you put Tordon in, it's the same thing. So gotcha. when you when yeah. you're girdling that, you know your cut chainsaw cuts pretty minute, you know distance wide. Mm-hmm. Are you trying just to go all the way around and miss that, or what? How you want you? so here's your cut, mm-hmm. here's your nozzle. Yep. You want it to get some of the top and the bottom. Top and bottom, just yep. keep it so it separates the. Yep. Try to get if you get it in there and it's on the bottom that chemical, most of the time you're going to get the job done. Right. As long as it's not running too much sap. Yeah. Okay. And that's for the hedge. Like that's the for the hedge. Honey, like the, what was the other one? Honey, honey locust. Locusts. Honey locusts, those probably don't have a problem. You spray in there. They, they don't, yeah. They, I've not run into very many honey locusts that are running any sap. Okay. They usually have a wound or something that might, they might shoot something out of that. But. Gotcha. So I've, I've never really girdled trees per se. Like I said, we usually, you know, we'll, we'll cut them off a few feet above the ground. One, so we can see them from a tractor. Well, you know, and, and honestly, in about, Depending on the type of tree, hedge just seems like five years plus. Mm-hmm. If you kill that stump, you can come back with a skid steer or something and pop that stump out of the ground. Yeah. Um, you know, other trees, it takes, you know, one or two years. Right. Um, but I've never girdled and then sprayed in the wound. I've always, you know, it's always been a clean cut and then treat it um, just around there. the outside ring is what we've done. Yep. So that's why I was curious yep. how that spray works. And, and hedge trees, if you have the equipment to do it, they're actually relatively shallow rooted. And yeah. so... It, it might not take as long, depending mm-hmm. on if it's kind of wet soil. You might be able to push them quicker. To pop them out, yeah. Um, but the two contour paths here, too, just kind of another side note, that's part of making this, you know, easier for yourself. Come out and maybe work the corner section first, and then you work this section, and then now, you you know, you're down to the mid-range. Mm-hmm. Um, those are also going to be probably deer movement routes because of the topography lines and so if they were started by cattle cattle elk deer they all kind of do the same thing as they move through an area they'll follow those those contours to make travel easier for them okay and so the on this map i have them in yellow these are daytime or upward thermal areas so in your situation 
I didn't follow the main ridge. I followed the contours because it's so gradual that I'm, it's not the ultimate path, but those are just kind of arrays that I would expect a deer to want to follow to catch all these updrafts coming from the bottom. Okay. And then in contrast, the blue, I, I mark my low drainages essentially is what they are, ditches, low areas where water would run uh, in blue. That's also where downward thermals are going to all meet and then run down towards the stream system. And we will have um, on the show release, we're going to do, I guess you call them pictures, uh, the Onyx still shot of these properties where it shows what, what Dustin is talking about. Well, this is Micah's place. We'll just drop him a pin. It did this exact address <laughs> and everything, but it'll show kind of what Dustin is talking about throughout these shows and some of the stuff he does to kind of be easy to follow along and help see his customer understand what he's talking about too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, you know, cause Micah, myself, Andy, we might understand what Dustin's explaining to us, but Dustin also works with non hunters Mm-hmm. or hunters that don't know what the hell he's saying. Right. So he's got to be able to explain these things to him and, um, you know, say, hey, this is my thought, et cetera, et cetera. So yep. um, I know these guys know what I'm talking about because we were there together and they've been there for a long time. And it's right, right in front of us, but it's different trying to uh, put into words yeah, visual, what's on a picture yeah. so that a listener can understand. So yeah, right. I hope that's somewhat clear and you can get some knowledge out of this. But Okay. Um, so, so where where did we leave off? Uh, so so, the, so we've taken care of blues. the yeah we're okay. we're down to the blue lines now. Okay, blue. so we're basically have taken care of the southern half of the timber. Yeah. Yep. Um, on this property, so the southeastern corner technically of the property is the southern half of the timber, which is the uh, the more mature trees. Um, that's where Dustin was talking about going through and using those contour lines to remove some of those honey locust hedge. Uh, honeysuckle, not honeysuckle. Um, Both, yeah. Hackberry. Hackberry. Um, Honeysuckle, though, too. You know, start working on the timber stand improvement uh, as the first step in this process that Michael is, you know, hoping to go through. And now we're moving more into the northern half of this timber, which would be the northeastern corner, I guess you'd call it, of the rectangle uh, on the property. Yep, most of that is still on the north-facing slope. You have a little sliver of creek bottom with south-facing slope with ag north of there. And then the drainage that you have runs east-west. And then when you get north of the property, it runs north with branches going off to the east and the west. Yeah, so the right. drainage kind of almost cuts the, uh, like the northeast port. corner in, in like a pizza shape. So it comes into the property in the north center of the property and then the drainage kind of runs east and then back out uh in the northeast corner yep so there's not a whole lot of what you would call the dry creek or drainage yeah but there is one there not not a whole lot of topographical variance but enough to still focus efforts and play the wind and everything that you have to do as a deer hunter so um moving to the northern half of the timber we get into what is the japanese honeysuckle infestation which when we talk about Nate's hunting property will be a topic of the hour. Um, I actually had to, I haven't worked with any projects that had that problem yet. So I had to do a little research and refresh my knowledge. 
I run into a lot of the same problems all the time, and so when I see one that I haven't worked, it's got to do a little research again, go back to school. But You don't have AIDS. You got super AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, honestly. <laughs> the, most of the stuff that I deal with grows on the ground, from the ground, and then your guys' stuff, this Japanese honeysuckle, grows from the ground up through the trees. And Yeah, I, I will. <laughs> yeah, I got this one area that is engulfed you know probably 20 30 trees just blankets all yeah all the way up um you have a skid steer you guys have a brush mower yep you could well it's broken right now but i think we're getting it fixed (laughs) that thing would be efficient at getting into some of those curtains of honeysuckle and knocking it down okay it's still going to be hanging there and you're still going to have to run fire and do the whole the whole thing but um so the northern half of this timber Honestly, we didn't walk in to look at forest composition, but this is a good example of where what obviously they know that it's two different things, but there's no cookie cutter approach to any property. They have little areas that are this, and then they have little areas that are this, and then depending on what the past uses were, the problems might be more severe in one area than another or vice versa. Um, So priority number one in the northern uh, piece, which is common on a lot of pieces that haven't been managed historically, is that you have to get your invasive species under control before you do any thinning of the canopy. Because whatever you take out in the canopy is going to allow everything underneath of it to, to take flourish. Off. Yeah. And so that's you, the last thing you want to do. Yeah. In this situation. And that's true even in the southern half. You mm-hmm. had it, you had some of it there. You had some other invasive species. Those are going to be the first thing that you always want to take care of, no matter if it's forest land or grassland that you're trying to manage for. So you go through there and you mow it down, knock it down. You come back in, spray. Spray, foliar spray. A lot of times on that stuff is going to be your best. Okay. Best bet. What's um, that like? What's an example? I mean, not putting on the spot, but like a foliar spray. Like, uh, is this a glyphosate? will do it it's non-selective in an area like some more of a you're killing all spectrum it, right? yeah you're gonna kill everything that that touches for the most part there's some things that are um and for people not glyphosate is essentially roundup yep, pretty much round, yep. round or so i should say roundup is glyphosate yep um, and if i know it's scary if you haven't worked with it a lot and it, it is something that you have to be careful with and pay attention to which way the wind's blowing and everything else when you're using it you don't want to have a whole bunch of wind because you're going right. to get some off target kill if it drifts through the understory and then makes its way up you might kill trees above really so it's strong enough where it could kill a it, tree you didn't want or at least uh, at least stun hurt it. stun it and then in this situation that other stuff is going to take over right and, more so. and kill that tree gotcha so in this situation get your brush hog working go in there and start knocking that stuff down wherever you can get it into. Okay. Those areas that you knock down are your new access to be able to go in there and spray that stuff. And as it dies, next thing that you're thinking is fire. And so now you got good fire load. Yep. So yeah, you're burning your dead, uh, essentially yep. and getting it cleaned up for your new growth. Yep. Um, I'm going to backtrack. Andy asked earlier if it was a driveway on the, east side of the property mm-hmm. and i asked the same question because especially when you start talking about fire perimeter access and barrier from places that you don't want to burn is very important mm-hmm. and so that gravel driveway on the east side mm-hmm. and then the two track that we walked in on the very south 
uh, boundary, excellent fire lines. They would be very sufficient for uh, stopping of, that fire from going. Yeah, some of my other professional peers might not want me to say things like this out loud, but people need to get educated with fire and learn the conditions to use it, and it is the cheapest and most effective tool. Whether whether you have a guy like me do it or you do it yourself, um, it's a lot cheaper and you don't have to use as much chemical and it's just way more bang for your buck. I mean, probably recovery for your soil might be honestly a little easier than, you know, pouring on a ton of, ke- ton of chemical yep. uh, to it because it is. And it's fun. And it's fun yeah, and you're sending nutrients down. There's all, a lot of benefits to using fire. Yeah. Okay, so would, sorry. Go ahead. Would you recommend so say say someone doesn't have you know the two track or the driveway, um, you know for instance I got a tiller. Would yep. you recommend maybe go ahead and creating a boundary of you know squaring off an area you're going to want to burn. Yep. And going ahead and, and pre making um, a fire boundary and absolutely a, a disc or a tiller or something of that nature uh, to kind of give yourself that buffer. Is that a possibility i mean what yeah the 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 more exposed soil or exposed rock that you have the better so rock yeah. i mean gravel right. not that's something something yeah. he actually mentioned at the second property we'll be talking about is like a disking or a yeah. you know, a till up land and to create that fire boundary that's kind of what I was thinking <laughs> like where i was working before i came here tonight that's on the line between what is the till plains that we're familiar with here mm-hmm. and the ozark highlands okay and so they have deep rocky ravines and then up high they got soil yeah, right and so part of that you're going to be able to use your tiller but part of that you're not going to be able to right um it, that's just every every property is different but if you can if you can get exposed soil mm-hmm. however that is or exposed rock it's the best the next best is mowing yeah um I've heard guys that will use a certain kind of fertilizer, so you being a farmer would have access to that kind of stuff that is a fire retardant, and it essentially will put it out. Hmm. So I don't know. I don't know the percentages. I'd have to look into that. Yeah, stuff, yeah. I don't know the percentages, but I know that that's an option. Um, if you're doing it in the woods, all you have to do is blow off the leaf litter a path wide enough that you can effectively work it for the conditions. What they say is that you want your fire break to be three times the width of your fuel height. Okay. So if you're burning leaves that are six inches thick, you want to have a 18 inch fire break. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. If you're burning grass, that's six feet tall. You want to have a 18 foot fire break at the least. Really? Grass is wild. It's a different. Which I, walking through mine, we had like one little patch that. Down, yeah. Yeah, that if it took off, it's still, if it. Yeah. It's all right, it's okay if it's going to burn somewhere else. Right. You know, if it catches. Yeah. Um, but okay. That's, a, that's another topic, too, coming up. Okay. So we'll get kind of back into what I have here on the map. Like I said, I do everything based on topography when it's compartmentalizing hunt setup um access where the deer are going to move is all based on topography so you have drainages naturally that come off of the ridge top and between each of those drainages is another smaller ridge top those drainages on each side of that ridge top are going to catch downward thermals from that high ground piece 
And so an access route that I always like to try to implement is the low, the low route. So I have a high route for when thermals are uphill, when the sun's shining and it's daytime. And then I have a low route for when you're going in and out in the dark. If, if possible, you want to have both options. And then you always still have to keep wind in mind. Wind first, thermal second. Um, those access routes are going to be new management routes too. And so working off of those access routes, so it's, it might be you might be off to the side mm-hmm. on one side or the other of that drainage, but you're getting down in there and you're able to work up, back up to that high point with your with your chainsaw with your skid loader mm-hmm. your tractor whatever it might be and and again you're just compartmentalizing making it easier to do an area you know okay i got that done i can move on to the next one or i can do the next step in that area you can do the full process in that spot you can try different things rotate your fire you, know, you can end up putting fire breaks there to separate you know you've only got what 20 acres or so there to, uh, roughly 20 to 30 somewhere yeah. in there so as you don't want to when you get further into this you don't want to be burning the whole thing all the time you want to have options okay you know i'm going to have variants based on when i burn and what stage of management i'm in and that'll attract different animals um that's pretty much the access routes part of it and like i said no timber stand improvement there until you got a pretty good uh, handle on on that stuff. Take that timber that's workable on the southern part, and that's where you're going to worry about opening the canopy a little bit earlier. But still, the same thing. You got to get your invasives first, right? Because then there's more oaks and everything. Once you get closer to that ridge, yep. we're in south trees that are actually going to benefit me. Yep. You know, in the in the foreseeable future, those northern ones, there might be one spread out, but it's more than likely three inches or less yep. diameter. It's and a lot of smaller when trees. When we're talking open up canopy and, and TSI and stuff, like getting rid of invasives, obviously, before you open that canopy because you don't want those to flourish. <laughs> what do you recommend? Is there something you recommend to try to seed back in that? Or uh, what do you recommend doing with the canopy once you have it opened? I think you let canopy and what what God put here do the work for you. Okay. You save yourself a lot of money trying to get things to grow. It's better to manage what's already there because mm-hmm. more than likely somewhere in that seed bank, even still, no matter how long it's been, there's good stuff. Right. So as long as you take the other stuff out of the equation, you're – positive stuff is gonna yeah when you start when you start implementing <clears throat> fire especially you can start thinking about okay maybe a couple of times through this i'm not getting the results that i want maybe i need to supplement something right. introduce some yeah and when you open that canopy up some of them trees that you're not going to take out that are getting their asses kicked by either <coughs> invasives or just too much competition are going to start to flourish yep especially if you got some small oaks in there maybe they'll start to actually Produce, you know, produce do something and right. produce and um you know your walnuts aren't really that used by um wildlife wildlife but you know they're worth something so yeah. they can actually fl- flourish um that sort of stuff and you might get some of that browse back at the the deer's level once you mm-hmm. you know you were talking about just 
even just doing the mowing, you're going to start seeing some of those natural good things coming back in those areas where you're getting rid of that. What the hell is it? Japanese what? Honeysuckle. Honeysuckle. Where you're you're just at least getting rid of it and some of those native grasses mm-hmm. and, you know, winter grasses and things like that can start popping back up just by doing that. Yep. Um, without spraying yet. And then you start spraying and getting rid of those and then you just accelerate the growth of what you want to have on that north side of Micah's property, which is not that blanket of shit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We walk through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a process, yeah, and like, even once you got a pretty good hold on it, you're never done, because your neighbors probably aren't doing as good of a job. If you're being, if you're being good, they're probably not being as good, right? Or if they are, then you're lucky, what right? Are, what are some things you're wanting to see? I guess. Yeah. What things. are What are the once you open it up, once you kill all the bad mm-hmm. stuff, what What's some of the good stuff you're hoping that right. does come? As far as I mean, are there things to look for that are? Yeah. So in in this setting historically it was probably open ground and so you want warm season grasses to start to work back in so i was curious it was more of a grass based yeah yeah and then around those oak trees and things like that you would like to see some younger oak saplings and even walnuts if if you open it up that much they require a lot of sunlight so i think a guy that i used to work for uh, ryan rastock out of the kansas forest service i believe he said a single walnut tree something like an acre that it needed oh wow to, to itself to to be able to reap like sunlight from the angles probably yeah. really yeah. wow so i'd say roughly now when you plant them like you plant them 15 feet apart and then you have to thin them as they get more mature but um yeah okay. uh, and then you also want forbs and mm-hmm. so when you start talking about uh, turkey poults and fawn habitat and you know quail's not going to be in this situation but mm-hmm. turkey uh what they need is those broad-leafed weeds that put on seeds that they can move through and there's plenty of browse in there so like your rag weeds your pollinators that you hear about like your comb flowers mm-hmm. and uh, illinois bunderflower um partridge pea a lot a lot of those are what you want to okay so that that adds uh browse into the winter time because you want stuff at least this high yeah which i'm holding up probably three and a half feet yeah Yeah. but a deer lives at six feet or less right five feet or less really what was the uh the tree that when we were walking through you said cut these cut these and they'll sprout willow a bunch of a bunch of trees do that but Uh, willow. remember we were on we were on the two track walking it was a willow it was no it wasn't it was a willow. You said cut it and it'll sprout out and the deer will eat it, right? Well, there's some that, that will was when that's we were good, by the pond. and there's some that will that are bad. We were okay. walking right down the trees, t- and there you're was right a tree the dr- growing out of another tree. Yeah. Um, and you're like, yeah, cut those, and that'll have a nut. What's that Oh, tree? elm. Elm. Yeah. See, I told you wrong. Yeah. <laughs> elm is the best. Say it. You were, yeah, I you, am wrong, Nathan. I was you still right, though, because he said that about willows. When you, when you do your TSI, if you're – another method that we didn't talk about is crop tree release, so you pick out the oak that's – being kind of choked out by honey locusts and hackberry and elm and all these other things. When you cut off an elm, don't treat it, and it re-sprouts. And elm is the best woody browse. Hmm. So so uh, I've learned that I have a lot to learn about identifying trees. <laughs> yeah, it was nice to have Dustin him walk dude, through. Yeah, he, he just was walks through and he's like, that's this, that's this. Yeah, pointed something out. 
so that's going to help. I, I need to study up on a little more. But I know hedge, hackberry, thorny locust or whatever. I know I, I can need do, to get I those. I can do most oaks, even yeah. though I just say oak. I don't know what kind of oak it is right. most of the time. I can usually point out yeah. a white oak and a red oak. But Where does uh, a hackberry fall on the scale of good to bad? I have a very small soft spot for hackberries. Like, unless there's nothing else there, I'm most of the time taking them out. So, from I guess Mike, so I I prefer them just because I can hang deer stains in them fairly easy. Yeah, they're not bad, quote unquote. They're not, you know, I don't have thorns, they don't have whatever, but they're also not producing any forage from my experience. And not great. Just, they're good for they're good for songbirds. Yeah, and other other things. So I don't want to take away from them. They're native, but they are one that will, you know, say your big oak tree dies and there's a they take over a hackberry next to it. Hackberry is what's going to come up in that yeah. opening without question. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So, so what about what else about this north half of the uh, the timber that we uh, we saw? Um, so I don't really have any stand site, but I'll make some suggestions. Some suggestions when you have those ridges that come to points, even if they're small ridges. So we're looking at the map here, and it's right where I'm pointing. On each side of this is the drainage coming down. And this is kind of like your breakover point. And the best version of it here is probably actually here. But that's called your soldier's point. It's mm -hmm. the farthest point out on the ridge. That's a stand site. That's the best location that you can be in or a deer can be in to have wind and thermals. Because it's going to travel down and around and wrap that point and right. come over the top and hit that point. So you want to create your stand site with shooting lanes and everything. Don't take too much cover around your stand site. But once you get outside of whatever range you're working to create for yourself, you want to create a mess pretty much that is the cover that's close to that best spot. You want to put the big buck close to the best spot, but you want to be in the best spot. Right so that he's probably going to come closer to try to get there, and that's where your shot opportunity comes from. Okay. So say I move this waypoint here to the very point. That waypoint was just marking the property, so it doesn't, right. it doesn't mean anything. But that's going to be the stand site. You have a bunch of cedars there. Some of them are pretty good size. Like I might think about trying to do a stand there or at least leaving some cedars around that spot to have yourself camouflaged and then you're going to cut some maybe leave some create diversity off to the sides that the buck likes to bet in he's going to be at a slight disadvantage to you okay no that makes sense and like i said the one of the neighbors his son used to hunt this property and he hunted his dad's which butts up to it and stuff and he always told me he's like this is where you need to be Yep. And like I said earlier, I've just been nervous because I didn't want to kick anything out. Because when I gathered that information, it was already during season. And I'm like, I don't want to push in there late season because I knew it was nasty. And I would have had to take the chainsaw, mm -hmm. do a bunch of work, and I just didn't want to push anything. Yep. So that's so, the plan this summer. So throughout this property, you have a few <laughs> soldiers' points, I guess you'd call it. So yeah. like just under that one, there's another ridge. Uh, are those considered soldier points every time you see those? Well, in, in this property, not so much. Now, if we zoom out, maybe. I might have, yeah. 
to the really big ridge. Yeah, so you start to look at the whole system. You've got the big ridge, right? There's one up there then. Yep, here. To the northwest is a drainage, mm-hmm. the main drainage. So would that be one coming from the other direction then? This here. Right. Uh, so this is a soldier's point. This is the high ground. You follow your blue lines, that's your low ground. Mm-hmm. So right in the middle, I mean, for starters, when you're getting used to learning topography, your low point is this drainage, and then the next one's this drainage over here. Your high point's right here. It's steeper on this side than it is on this side. That there? So this up here is a soldier's point. Is that also right? Oh, crap. I zoomed in. There? Yep, that's a soldier's point for a south wind. Hmm. So you don't get a lot of straight east winds, but this is an east wind soldier's point. Most of the wind and thermals will end up there. That's a... Yeah, when you when you zoom out of the area that you're in, you know, there's a lot more going on than and that's your 60 acres. Something you have to take into consideration, too. Like, where, based on the wind and conditions, are the deer going to be coming from? Yeah, it makes sense. Especially when you're thinking access and that type of stuff. Nice. All right, what else on this property? Um, just for, like, a highlight area, we'll go to this main point that we've been talking about. And I said there's cedars that you could see there. I pointed out that you had Ceresia lespedeza there, mm-hmm. that stuff that grows in a mat. You're going to use a brush killer, uh, so like pasture guard, and 1% of that and 1% 2,4-D starting in about July, August. Okay. July would be better. And even even before that, if you can see it good enough, and in your situation, you can. You're going to want to spray that stuff, but what's probably going to happen is first you're going to want to thin these cedars out. There's too many cedars. We talked about that. Mm-hmm. Nothing can get through there. It's a wall. You want to I'm, – I'm, I go back and forth on how I want to describe this because I know if it was my property, I'd just cut them into a big pile and burn them. not move them at all. I'd let them lay as they are, and then I'd burn them two years later. Um, for, for what you're trying to do, that's probably not going to be the best. And I think what I said was get in there and get what you can get. If you have to pull it out to like create some diversity and some pathways, do that. But you know, you could have a decent sized area area here that is different type cover type than what you have on Mm -hmm. the whole slope above. And so that's a transition point. So you might have a, Here's your higher version of the same area. Here's a high stand and a low stand. Gotcha. If you're hunting that feature, which, you know, it's a south wind type thing, and you're still pretty much on the low part, but. Yeah. So I got a, we're probably kind of buttoning up my property, so I got a question. I don't own this property. Right. You know, I'm lucky enough that I get to hunt it, and I've talked with the landowner, and it's him and his son that own it. They really, really enjoy mushroom hunting. Like that is their thing. If if I gave them an option, hey, you kill a two hundred inch deer, or you go out and you pick a hundred mushrooms, mm-hmm. they're gonna pick the hundred mushrooms. I'm just letting you know that, yeah, that's yeah. that's their passion. Yeah. All right, they've been doing it. So whenever I talked to the landowner about you coming out, and I asked him, I was like, hey, I'm gonna have Dustin come out. I have a feeling. He's going to want to cut a bunch of stuff down, 
make burn it, some shit, burn some shit, do all that. And he's like, I don't care what you do, but my dad, the you know the other guy that owns it, he's like, mm-hmm. he wants pass, or you know he wants to be able to access the woods a little bit easier to hunt for mushrooms. Right. That's the only thing I care about. He, other than that, I can do whatever I want. You know, so if if this was a lease or something like that. If this was a lease, I'd probably wouldn't do much at all just because you never know when you're going to lose that. But, yeah. you know, I, I foresee that I will have access to this place for, you know, the foreseeable future, hopefully, mm-hmm. you know, Lord willing type of thing. So if I went in there and I just did some trails and things like that, is yep. that going to mess up the overall plan? No. So. I would say if you did some trails, start with some of these. Uh-huh. Um, anything that you cut and kill will decay. Yep. Mushrooms are a fungus. Yep. So they're going to thrive off that. Yep. Okay. Same with fire. And when you start getting the right things growing, your soil starts to hold moisture better. Yeah. More mushrooms. Okay. More recycled nutrients year to year. A win-win for the mushroom hunters. Yeah. Okay. It's, it, it will help the mushrooms. Yeah. So, I mean, I just want to be able to go back to the landowner and be like, hey, this is the plan that we've kind of come together with. This is what we're going to do. It might look nasty at first, but eventually it's, you know, it's all going to help everybody. Yep. You know, I want to kill big deer. He wants to kick, he wants to pick big mushrooms. So I like it. To each his own. Yep. So that's Micah's property in a nutshell. You know, we're, we're, I mean, obviously there's all kinds of detail. Um, Dustin can also do the work that he's talking about on these properties, which is, you know, another layer. Um, in this situation, he might help us with some of this. We might have him do some of it. We might just try start starting on our own. Um, but there's there's a lot that goes into um, his plan um, because he wants to see the plan work, especially if he's going to be doing the work. And then if he's not, he wants to see the plan work. Um, some of these plans are going to take a while, though. I mean, the amount of work that's just going into this little 60-acre farm is – it's a lot of amazing. Man, it's you know? a lot of man hours. And yeah. if even if he was doing it, this is what he does for a career. It's a <laughs> lot of work for one dude to go do. Pretty, um, pretty, yeah, pretty much. Like, start with those access routes is kind of always the best thing to do because you can get in there and do stuff mm-hmm. and just follow follow the guidelines of what I've said so far. You know, yeah. work your invasives. Once those are under control, next to your access routes, then you can start thinking about what you're leaving and taking. You want to keep your access route open, obviously. Mm-hmm. So if something falls on your trail, that's going to be a little bit more work than if it's in the middle. Right. But um, it's it's more intensive starting out always. Yeah. And then you eventually you get to a certain point where it's sustainability. Just, just a little bit here, a little bit there. Yeah, and yep. it, you can do it from the outside in yeah. at that point. Gotcha. All right, so that's Micah's property. We're going to move on to mine now. All right, we're to my property now. Um that I hunt, so I'll explain it first so everybody can understand it. This is also kind of a rectangle that is uh, more tall than it is wide, so it's a it's a north and south rectangle, we'll say. And it's pretty basic. The uh, north half of the property is crops. The south half of the property is timber. That timber is then broken half, in my opinion, by a, a creek. Um, not quite half. We're just going to say half. The north half of that that uh, timber is a little bit more mature type of trees, a bunch of old shale piles. This was an old shale mine or whatever back in the day, so there's some. It looks really cool in there, but um, 
you know, kind of some, L- some little hills trees. And, yep. Yeah, little. Yeah. The back half of that timber is a uh, shit bunch of shit. Um, <laughs> you know, lot of locust, uh, hedge, hedge, bunch of stuff going on. Really thick, nasty, impenetrable areas in some spots. Um, so that's basically the farm, and then um, it's a uh, about forty acres total. What I hunt is somewhere around fifteen acres, so not a huge area. Um, but you know, this is the work we have done this, this far, I think is, has already helped, mm-hmm. uh, as far as seeing deer and, and helping us. And so you can, you can make a difference on, on really small properties. You're talking about Micah's property was 60, mine's 40 and we don't hunt 60 and 40. We hunt 15 and 30 basically, right. you know? So, um, so that's the property that we're talking about in this one. Uh, Dustin and I went out there. Uh, walked out there and and he kind of went after it. Take yeah, it over. Another, you know, pretty simple prescription. Honestly, it's it'll sound similar to the first one. The north and the south will be flipped. Um, the you have your kind of creek bottom area, mm-hmm. and you're getting well, obviously it's a creek bottom. You're getting movement off of both slopes, and so you have a south facing slope that is the ag field and you have a north facing slope with a soldier's point that would be like for a southeast wind yeah so the wind's out of the southeast and the point of the slope is in the northwest but that's the most advantageous spot um in your creek bottom area the first thing i noticed it was just way too open for for wildlife i mean turkeys probably like to strut there when they're there um but there's not much for brood rearing habitat because there's no cover on the ground. And so there were hackberries in there. There was uh, honey locusts. There's just some poorly formed trees and um, trees with hollow nooks that are probably going to succumb to weather eventually anyways. Those make some of those decisions easier when you're like, what do I take out? Like, I have no idea where to start. Um, when you have a decent stand and you had you had oaks here some nice mature ones too um did have the winter creeper mm-hmm. we talked about that that's another one that's like what's uh, the winter creeper it's dark green grows like a like mat. carpet okay yep and then it goes up trees eventually okay. also yep um that's another invasive one to take care of um Relatively easy at ground level. Because is that in the north part of the timber? Yeah, you know yeah. where that dead tree is? Mm-hmm. Uh, that down tree and then the food plot, quote-unquote. It's kind of creeping into that food plot that's all throughout there. Yep. And so the, the chemicals that we discussed earlier are going to be part of that, too. You can do um, you can do glyphosate heavy, and I'm not I'm – not, don't quote me on that. Um, I might put, like, a link to MDC has an invasive plant – page oh, really? and it breaks down uh how to treat each one of them nice. Oh, nice uh most effectively so um anyways you're going to end up spraying that with a broadleaf killer to be more successful and a, a woody broadleaf killer at that um when it's that thick and you're not there's nothing else growing underneath of it when it's thick right and you can cut the vines that are on the trees too and treat those with your your tree cut uh chemical when you're running your chainsaw you don't want it. You got to be careful. You don't want to cut into the tree that it's on if you're trying to save that tree. 
Right. And so something you can do is kind of get really close here and then make another cut on that vine and then run your saw to where it grabs the middle. It might pull it off. But those vines are pretty fibrous, so it's it's tricky. Kind so, of a pain in the ass yeah, to deal with. might be better if you had a hatchet. Really? <laughs> yeah, make a, a small cut. But in that scenario, there were some hackberries in there too. I'm probably going to take it, all of them out if it's me. You want to create, like, it would be easy to drop trees in this piece mm -hmm. versus your piece. On the north half? Yeah, because it's so open. And so I want to create horizontal cover. I might do a little bit of hinging on the edges and and if I want to direct some traffic. Uh, but laying that down and you've got cover, cover at ground level and that's your fawn and your turkey uh, broodering habitat. And that was pretty much it on that one. With oak trees, you have good leaf litter for burning. Um, and, you know, you're pretty much on your way with the timber management. And what I say of, of these farms like this is you're managing your cover because that's where you're hunting. Right. Out here, you don't have a whole lot going on. Maybe one day the landowner will let you leave some crops or something in there. But <laughs> <laughs> highly doubtful. Was I... So what I I do these perimeters too. It looked like this was family that owns that. Uh, distant, yeah. Distant, yeah. I didn't know if you know if you. They're right next door. A distant, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, say this. Say that for some reason you got into a big CRP program and you know government regulations on how much you could farm change one day or whatever. Here's my tree hugger coming out, but <laughs> uh, you could access. You know, same deal. Yeah. This is the cool route. I have access right here that way. That was not fun. And then, uh, you know, here's your warm route like this. And it comes down this point. Boom. Or, you know, this would be the other one. So right out the barn would be the other one right there. No reason to save that, but it's something to think about. If you had the say in what happens and say this was if you were somebody that wanted to do a CRP buffer, you know, they have buffer programs. If you want to do pollinators, they have that, whatever. That actually used to all be pasture where you're marking. I can see that in the picture that it's grass. That would probably help the hunting, I would imagine. But, uh, you know, that's not always in our control. And in the back half of that, um, so the, the north half of that timber is about, what would you say, 30 foot lower than the back half of that timber, the south half? Yeah. There's a pretty decent um, elevation, change. elevation change from the uh, the south half of the timber down to that creek, um, which the creek does stay wet about, I'd say, 90% of the time. Yeah. I mean, there's – it's yeah. like this, this last summer when it was really, really dry, it did get dry. So that creek actually is a collection of the road water. That's mm -hmm. a low point of the road. Uh, the ditches drain into that and runs down to a, a big watershed. So, you know, as long as it's raining, for the most part, you know. It'll stay decently wet. It stays pretty wet. There's always some parts of the creek that has water in it. The neighbor had a, a pretty good pond, and it was drying up, and it got real shallow. It silted in, and he actually just recently took it out. Um I kind of, that kind of changed it a little bit because they don't have the overflow from that. But uh, on the south part of this, you know, kind of, I, I'm imagining the same type of stuff as what you were talking to Micah, of uh, like girdling some of those mm -hmm. like locust trees or. Yep. Uh, well, you know, they have the heavy 
honeysuckle infestation too. Mm-hmm. But what I notice is where, and like I mentioned earlier, mowing is an effective method of at least setting it back and keeping it from continuing to proliferate. And so you're doing the right thing by mowing already. And I noticed that cool season grass is coming up, which that's like your brome and your fescue and, you know, cattle, cattle grazing grass. Mm-hmm. That's enough to allow you to start running fire through there. And then, so like on your south boundary where it's ag field, if you had permission, you could run a disc line right there. You could run a disc line on your west boundary where we walked up, Nate. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, maybe your your farmer to the east there is cool with, you know, fighting fire from the open ground on his side. And you just start opening those grassy areas up and running that fire through. And that is a very effective way to set the honeysuckle back. One of the best things that I think happened on this property was the day I got in that skid steer and just started playing, I mowed a lot more than I was planning on. Remember, I even got lost in the back. Skid steer's in never the been the same since. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I just, I mowed much more than I was planning on. But, yeah, it's you know, satisfying. ended up helping, I think, because no, that whole back half of that, that timber is just shit yeah. i mean it's yeah. just you know thick i mean at one point that the southeast half of that timber you couldn't walk through at at, at all you know and then you know we we went through and mowed um some main trails at first and then we started you know just kind of going through and it was a start mm-hmm. and you know you do see deer start moving through it um and even, you know, some bucks have decided to to hang out in some of those really thick areas at certain times. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that they want to live there, but um, so it's it started helping. And then, you know, one of the things you said that stuck with me on that was just keep doing that more. Yeah. You've opened up a, You're that far a five foot spot, make it 10 foot next time. Mm-hmm. You know, get, eat that uh, Japanese what? Honeysuckle. Honeysuckle back. Uh, just keep knocking it back so that those um winter season uh cool season cool season grasses and stuff that needs to be there can start reestablishing, and then that gives you a chance to 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 start fire yep uh about that the cool season grass is a good way to start the fire eventually especially in this piece what i noticed is that it was nothing but hedge and honey locust mm-hmm. once you get to where you can move around in there and get that honeysuckle set back you're you know if it's me and this is my property i'm thinking well this is this is upland you know warm season grass area maybe future tree planting area Mm -hmm. if i want to have oaks and stuff in there that's that's what you're gonna have to do some guy tried to one time but it went like shit yeah (laughs) it, it probably got taken over and there are some oaks up there we saw that one yeah and there's that that big cedar it needs to go away from it yep but uh I think that um, might be the only cedar that's up there, but yeah, this over here where you said your bucks you always kick them out of was so mm-hmm. thick. Essentially, that can hold that deer, in my opinion. Do you leave that alone then? I don't. So, when you manage your properties, the hunting area, you want to attract deer to the center. So you want the most of the mess to be kind of in in the center of your property and that's essentially this not this knob here mm-hmm. and then your drainage and then where these trickle down i liked where this kind of drainage worked down into the creek that'd be an area to highlight too 
um, your soldier's point, you want to have the best advantage. So you have a perimeter access trail and probably a short one that gets to here. Mm-hmm. And then I'm beefing up everything here. And I might have another stand site right there because there's that. I remember this came down pretty pretty heavy washout. So there's a ditch that runs through there. Mm-hmm. And there was a heavy deer trail even in that thick stuff. And so they use even just a, a small ditch like that. They have to follow the line of least resistance that brings them down. I might have a stand catching them coming off of that slight drainage for maybe a straight south wind. Yeah. Um, I've basically got a stand where your uh, where your waypoint is. waypoint is, and then I've got one on that soldier's point Yeah, right about there. Yeah. Um, just once, once again. I kind of remember that one. Yeah, uh, yeah, because we walk right by it. Coming up out of the creek. Mm-hmm. It's kind of in that gnarly tree. Yep. <laughs> a lot of... A lot of cutting happened. Yeah, that's, that that's the hardest it. part. Is you, there's no hedge is basically your option. And it's not mature hedge. Uh, up yeah, in there. it's it's yeah. younger, yeah. gnarlier hedge. You might be thinking, you know, eventually once it gets uh, cleaned up more, and it's hard. Like it might be ground blind area mm-hmm. down towards this this here. When you think about it, your your evening sits happen when the thermals switch and go downhill. You're setting up for that switch in thermals. And so whatever deer is bedding on a southeast wind, you're expecting to drop down here and then go this way or this way. Right. To catch downward thermals. So your <laughs> your approach from a south wind is here, obviously, going into the wind. Nothing You, you don't think anything's probably going to be bedding there. They can bed up here for, like, updrafts. It does happen, but not not often. They're usually in the, on the southern half of the timber. Most of them are going to be here. And then if you beef this up to where they might feel comfortable on a north wind hanging out there a little bit more, maybe we look at, you know, is there a way that I can stay as far to the perimeter as I can this way or ask permission to go this way mm-hmm. on the far south? And then you're dropping down however high. Is that loud when I do that? What, did you do that? <laughs> Chew my cough drop. Oh, <laughs> you're fine, bud. Okay. Uh you know, opposite wind, waiting for them to come down here. Now, the the opposite, you know, if you're going to hunt like a cruiser buck, you're expecting them to be catching thermals. So this mm-hmm. is your cover in its entirety. It's not enough to really have a lot of wind variables. I'm going to be on the uphill side with the wind all the way hunting. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's on a north wind. Yep, and that's where I've seen my, my most success is. Yep. On that uphill side. Uh, initially, when I first started hunting this property, my success was down low. But that's because that's all the only spot we could go at the time. Honestly, it was right. so thick. I mean, when, when was the last time you thought you think that was mowed before then? Several years? Looking at it, I'd say four like, years. Yeah. So, like, that was your option. Mm-hmm. And... I'll be honest with you, I got tired of getting flat tires on my tractor. So I didn't have a skid steer with tracks at the time. There's so much stony locusts up there. Yeah. That I I was mowing it. When I first bought the property, I mowed the whole, like, uh, well, they used to, when I bought it, there was cattle up there. So it was pretty open for the most part. Mm -hmm. There's some, you know, the hedge trees and stuff were there, but the undergrowth was not. um, And then I mowed it there for a while, and but I would constantly get flat tires. I just got tired of paying the flat tire bills, so I didn't mow it for a couple years. 
by the time I got to skid steer tracks and mowers, it was already so far gone that it wasn't a easy task to just run up there and mow. Mm. Right. That's the that's the trouble with all the invasives too. If you let them go, you like you have to stay on it yeah. multiple times a year for the first couple of years, and then at least every year. Which is which is the first couple of years of the mowing we've done that it's been about twice a year that those have been mowed down mm-hmm. um and it's definitely helped and like i said i mean i killed the second buck biggest buck i've ever killed on the south half of that um timber which is the highest point of the timber in that uh farm if you look at it that way um only because of the work we did out there otherwise i couldn't even been there um right so i guess the like the biggest thing is you know micah and i's property that we talked about on this show tonight, neither of them are like these, oh my gosh, this could be Drury, Missouri Drury, you know, South Missouri. Uh, it's not going to happen. Those aren't these properties. But you're looking to attract that buck that feels comfortable in that spot for whatever period of time. Exactly. And, and not doing anything isn't helping you. Right. So doing something is better than just saying well this this isn't worth it essentially what you're doing is when you open the canopy up you're increasing your carrying capacity which makes it attractive to more deer because they can it can handle more deer there's not enough browse not enough cover there right now to hold more than a couple a deer at a time yeah right would you say it hurt it's hurt the turkey population as well by not having that opened up or Yes. Oh, absolutely. Um, and and for turkey survival, the Dr. Lashley, have you guys heard? Yeah. Yeah. He was talking about how important those first couple weeks of their life are, and that's where the down cover part is pretty important. But a turkey likes to also be able to escape cover if it has to Quickly. in the air. Mm-hmm. And so on the ground, they want to be able to run, but they need that option of flying too. So a lot of these forest stands that you see is like so thick Mm -hmm. in this layer that they can't get off the ground. They don't want to go in there and, you know, get themselves trapped in an area. Right. They need need to be able to fly to escape. So that mid-story opening that up is important for adult turkeys. But makes a lot of sense. Well, I mean, in the end for me and Micah, like this was a – a, a great experience with Dustin. Um, you know, we, we both are very generic land managers. Like we don't know shit. Um, us three are just kind of, we, we do what we think's the best. Mm-hmm. And it was really cool to have Dustin come out who, you know, this is his you know bread and butter and, and be able to say, Hey, this is what I think you should do here. Reaffirming some of the decisions we made, which was nice. Um, you know, we didn't really get hand slapped for anything. Like, I don't no. think we'd had no. like made any major uh, mistakes, which was nice. We do stuff we feel like the right thing, but we don't necessarily know the, the if it real is. reason why yeah, I, behind right. what we're doing. I think know? I mentioned to you guys too. Like, I I kind of envy you sometimes because I remember when I was younger, starting to hunt. It was just like, oh, I'm just gonna go hunt. Right. I'm not worried about what's growing or what the wind's doing. I'm just going. Yeah. And that's a lot different. Like now everything you, is so now much you better. like. Nope, I need this type of conditions and this type yeah, of area, yeah. and yeah, yeah. And being a public hunter, like that, we have so much public land and not enough resources to you know, financially to manage it. Yeah. To manage it, 
properly. So I go to these public places and I see all the stuff that I'm telling you guys. Mm-hmm. I wish I could do that. Yeah, like, oh. It just bothers the shit out of you, doesn't it? Yeah, and I'm, <laughs> I'm just now getting to where I can like deal with it. <laughs> and I'm doing what I can where I can to make changes. Right. Dustin's and, hunting with a chainsaw. <laughs> yeah. That's what I, most of the time I just wish I had my saw or <laughs> a machete or something. <laughs> Sir, we heard you were improving habitat out here. Yeah. <laughs> Please leave. I didn't get my permit. <laughs> I'll yeah. send you the bill. But um, anyway, it was nice to, you know, get those plans and say, hey, this is what, you know, your your first step should be. To me, what I liked the best was here's what I would do first. Micah's property, I would, you know, start girdling, girdling trees, some trees, taking care of mowing, some yeah. and knocking back those invasives. Nate, I would continue knocking back those invasives even more and, Getting you know, focusing on the north part of that, that timber do, um, you know, maybe some some uh, hinge cutting of some of the trees that we don't want to help create that cover and then fire. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I like the one thing you said about, you know, starting a fire down at the Creek side and then just letting it eat yeah. uh, that entire upper area. Once you have enough for a fire mm-hmm. or a fire, a good fire load to be able to make it burn, you know, with quality burn. Um, what impact do you see fire have on your standing mature trees you want to keep? Do you see it as long as you as long as you don't have too much dead material at the bottom that's going to sit there and be hot and smolder mm-hmm. right against it, uh, then you, you're you're pretty good. Especially your oaks and your hickories that are they're pretty tough. Yeah, they're fire adapted. So. When when naturally it happened in the past, that's why they proliferated. You didn't get as many elms and hackberries and stuff because fire kept them. Cedars, bay. cedars especially. Um, same same deal. And so when you do go in and you do some, if you do some heavy thinning, you know I get in some situations where I'm dropping a lot of trees to the ground, and there's definitely a balance between um, too much too much down material and not enough and are you actually taking enough out to get the benefit and each each scenario is a little different and even as you move from you know that end of the room to this other room it might be different right um so i would say to generalize you know find you know learn topography have perimeter access Mm -hmm. have access on high ground all the way at the highest ridge point down to the low point, wherever that might be, and then have access through low points. And then just start managing off of those, keep them clear, and then whatever happens in the middle, eventually, it won't be as, like, that's where your cover happens and you keep your access going. Nice. I like it. I liked it a lot. And like I said, I'm looking forward to kind of starting some of these projects and, you know, doing more and more and, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, maybe Dustin will come and, you know, help us with some of that and show us. I really like to do a fire with you. Yeah. That's what I'd like to do. I burned all day yesterday. 40 acres. I almost just want to be like, Hey, next time you go burn, call me. If I'm around, I'll come with you. (laughs) I'll just go with you. Yeah. Um, I can be your, your gopher. I passed a couple on the way here tonight too. Did you? Yep. Nice. So, uh, anyway, yeah. If you have any questions, I mean, once again, we're going to plug Dustin on this because, this is, you know, this is his thing. This is what he does. He enjoys doing it. Um, give him a call and have him do this for you if you're thinking about 
trying to make your property better. Because like I just said, it's not going to get better if you don't do anything. It's, it's actually going to get worse, right? right. It's going to continue getting worse. Those invasives are invasive for a reason. They will take over. They will cause more problems. It's not going to get better just by not doing anything. So if you don't know what to do, that's where you call a person like him who can give you at least a, what would you call it, a blueprint to... Blueprint, plan of action. Yeah, to make it a better property for deer, turkey, whatever you're going for. And uh, and then, like I said, depending on uh, what you want to do, the dude will do the work too. So um, give him a call. Yeah, what's your number again? One last time. 816-752-7390. Habitat Works. He's on Facebook, Instagram also. If you forget that phone number, just check him out on those by uh, searching Habitat Works, and you can find him there. Yeah, if you if you do remember, text honestly is pretty good because I have it there on my phone, and I won't forget, and I hate looking at my emails. I look at my emails, but... <laughs> Not a fan of. I'm, not good. I, I'm with you. That I'm red, you that, that red number in the corner. Call, <laughs> call for a good time. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, you guys got anything else for Dustin? I don't think so, man. How about you, buddy? You got anything? No, just I appreciate it being here, and it was cool doing that other show. So yeah, thanks for coming out sick too. Yeah. Well, I think I'm on the on the on the men. recovery. Yeah. <laughs> I don't feel bad. That's good. So. That's a good thing. All right, man. Well, uh, appreciate you. We're gonna do this. We're gonna hit the stop button on this one. All right. See you. Catch See you next boys. time.